this morning's message has everything to do with this, not just admiring godly people from far away, but joining them, getting close to them, and learning from them, watching them. And what you guys have an opportunity to do this morning is you get to watch your Sunday school teachers in action. You get to see not just the lesson that they talk about with their mouth, but the lesson that they demonstrate with their warm, loving smile, with the way they handle conflict, with the way they pass out fishy crackers, whatever, okay? So I want you paying attention to the godly people that are serving and loving you as you head out to class right now. Go, Logan, this is your cue. And others, get on out. And we're going to be talking about followership this morning, and you'll notice that there are adults that are leading them. That's a good thing. It's good to have followers and leaders. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're at. Open your Bibles up to that spot. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say these words, everyone suffers. (laughs) And welcome to church. (laughs) All right, everyone suffers. Is that true? Absolutely. We just know this to be true. Here's the really good news. Catch this. Your pain and suffering are not random and not wasted. Your pain and suffering are not random and they are not wasted. Suffering for Christ and suffering in Christ changes pain forever. Suffering for and in Christ changes pain forever. And here's the the amazing thing. There's nothing for you to do about this but trust. There's nothing additional you need to do but to trust what I just said. I don't want you to trust it because I said it. I want you to trust it because the Bible says it. God knows exactly what he is doing, and he is never surprised. You want two handles to hold on to if you're walking through a dark night of the soul right now? God knows exactly what he's doing. Cling to that. Hold on to that. It's firm. And God is never surprised. This is the hope of Christians through the centuries. And it actually seems to shine brightest in the darkest night. Let me take a quick survey here. uh, Just sort of an overview, not a survey like I'm going to ask you questions, okay? Old Testament. God asked this question, who will I send? What does Isaiah say? He says, pick me. Here I am, right here. Hey, pick me. I'll go. What was the assignment? Go be a prophet. What do prophets do? They get killed. They preach unpopular messages to wicked people. They are hated for it, and they get killed. This was the reputation of prophets leading up to Isaiah saying, I'll go right here. Hey, right here, pick me. Send me, Lord. That's the Old Testament. Man, there's so many messages like that. How about this? After three years of pastoring in Ephesians, Paul decides to go to Jerusalem. As he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, here's what he says. I'm going to Jerusalem, and only prison and hardships would greet him. What kind of welcome mat did Paul get at Jerusalem? Exactly what he said. Welcome. No cup of coffee for you, no name tag, no warm handshake, no comfortable burgundy chair. Here's pain pain and hardship. And the Spirit revealed that to him in advance. And yet he went. How about today? Think about this. 
Church, you have classmates and coworkers who tomorrow morning at their job or school will gladly risk being left out, being labeled as hateful or bigoted or ignorant for the simple reason that they celebrate Jesus as Lord and aren't ashamed of it. Don't hide that. That's what's going to happen tomorrow morning around the world. So what's going on here? Why do people through history consistently not only put up with, but actually seem to invite persecution by their behavior, by their actions? Think about this. Why all this opposition? Who is it that Jesus Christ threatens in Rome, in Old Testament Jerusalem, in wicked pagan nations that have never heard the name of Christ? Who is it that Jesus threatens today that he invites so much criticism, so much opposition? What we have today is this. We're working through 2 Timothy, and we have another of sort of Paul's greatest hits. So there's like deep cuts of Paul, but then there's the greatest hits. And this would probably make his top 20, I would guess. There's a passage embedded in our text today. I was going to take 10 through 13 in one pass, and I realized there's two great truths that are sitting here sort of side by side, and they're really, really important to get. So we're actually going to take this passage on two passes. The passage everyone jumps to and talks about and knows about is this. All who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. Have you heard that passage before? Yeah. Even if you hadn't heard the reference or couldn't come up with it or didn't attend a wana and don't have all the stars, whatever, you're like, yeah, I've pretty much heard that. I've been around the Christian faith long enough. I know the Bible well enough to have known that one. People quote that one all the time. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That's a really important part of our evangelism, I think, isn't it? Just to like set the expectation and be honest about what we are calling people to. In fact, Jesus left us no doubt about the price tag to follow him. Many times, and in many different ways, Jesus' words and actions left this unmistakable message to his followers. Ready? Here it is. This is going to hurt. <laughs> This is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. Here's one of his most portable ones. I send you out, disciples, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, if you're raised in church like I was, I was raised in church half time. Like when I was with my mom, I wasn't at church. When I was with my uh, dad and stepmom, I was at church. So I'm like 50-50. But I knew about sheep and wolves clothing. I knew about sheep in the midst of wolves, all that. Don't let familiarity sort of... uh, blind you to this. Jesus said he is sending out his disciples as sheep in the midst of wolves. Anyone in the, I'm just curious, anyone in this room actually ever seen a wolf outside of a zoo in the wild before? Okay, a couple of you. Scary stuff. We all talk bravado here. If you're out there and nothing between you and a snack for the wolf is a thin piece of fabric of your tent or air, uh, it's a scary thing. Sheep in the midst of wolves, that's the message. If that didn't land on his disciples, John 15, Jesus says this, the world will hate you. Now, Jesus' original disciples and some of us in this room are a little thick-headed, so sometimes it just has to be said really plainly. Hey, the world will hate you. 
So these are like the price tag of following Jesus. You want to be a Christian? This is going to hurt. There have been seasons in our nation's history where we didn't believe that because we didn't see it, we didn't feel it, we didn't experience it. You're a Christian in America, 2022, and particularly in the Bay Area, you go, yep, this ring's true. Let me say this, as we talk about this passage for the next couple of weeks, um, we're actually going to take a break because next week, where are we going to be? All church camping trip. Let me just keep saying that so we keep remembering. We're going to have someone texting, emailing me. I won't know it because I won't have signal because I'll be in the forest, but you'll be like, where is everyone? YouTube people, we won't be here next week. Come join us. All right. Um, Here's what we say, though, when it comes to uh, persecution, is that you actually are instructed not to go looking for it. Don't go looking for suffering. Don't go looking for persecution. You ought to follow Jesus, seek to live a peaceful life, seek so far as it depends on you to get along with everyone, and guess what? You do that, the Bible promises something. You'll be persecuted. So please don't go looking for it. It will find you. You follow Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You go where Jesus says, when he says to do it, and the way he says to do it. I promise you, you will find persecution. Actually, it will find you. That's what this is talking about. Okay. Knowing this helps us press on by keeping us mindful of reality. If you're in a situation right now where close loved ones, bosses, coworkers, teachers, the man, the system, whatever, is oppressing you for your faith, this helps you press on. You say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's reality. That's the biblical picture we were promised. I go back to the first thing, that God knows exactly what he's doing. He's not surprised by anything. He's actually cluing us into what is happening. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot this down. Jesus didn't just do right. Jesus didn't just do right. He suffered wrong. Jesus didn't just do right. He suffered wrong. Christ won. That's what Christian means. Little Christ, following Jesus, go and do likewise. Go and do right, just like Jesus did. And go and suffer wrong, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't just do right, he suffered wrong. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10, three verses. Here we go. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me review the central truth from last week. Last week, there was a big, long, horrible list about what people will be like in the last days. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. I'm sure every generation thinks this, but it sure seems like we live in the last days. (laughs) What's the central truth? Don't be fooled by foolish people. Avoid them. Watch the counterpart to that. But you, Timothy, you're nothing like that. 
You're not living that way. It's so plain and obvious to me. Here's the central truth from today. Don't panic. It's in your notes. I already wrote it down for you. Instead of don't be fooled by foolish people, avoid them. It's don't admire godly people from afar. Join them. Christianity is a team sport. We are called to be together. We're called to walk in community. That's a non-negotiable for a body part. Anyone ever have your elbow try to like leave the union and form its own state? That's bad news. Your left toe never goes crawling away by its own, except in weird movies. It is required that you join together. Yeah, but you don't know the people in my community group at my church. Yeah, I do, actually. I'm the pastor here. I do know them. You don't know my pastor. I know. It's tough. You're called to join together. Let me show you the title pick for this morning. By the way, almost every title pick I ever do, I am trying to capture the, the sort of essence of the text in visual form. This helps me. Almost every week, there's a little puzzle to the, to the pictures that I put up. Sometimes I walk it through it. Sometimes I don't. It's just like little things there. Here's, here's what I see and, and what, I'm, what I'm putting on here to try to cap- capture some of the shading and nuance of what we just read, okay? Um, 12 steps. Some people in this room have gone through the 12 steps for Alcoholics Anonymous, for some other kind of addiction. It's been a powerful, powerful tool used in people's lives. Hear me really clearly at the outset. By the way, you can offend anyone for any reason. Just talk for five seconds and it's an offend culture, okay? So hear me up front. My heart is not to diminish or uh, sort of shrink, shrink, shrink down the 12 steps, okay? That's not what's trying to go here. But that's a familiar term and idea, the 12 steps. And what I have here is 12 steps up discipleship way. Discipleship is an actual road. It's an actual path. You are actually moving somewhere. Remember from last week, here's a, here's a characteristic of people in the last days. They're always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. It's the cul-de-sac of discussion and argument and learning and intellectualism and theorizing and all this stuff, and it's exhausting. You never arrive anywhere. God is actually taking us from death to life. God is actually revealing things to us such that we are moving along a discipleship pathway. Praise God, we're going somewhere. Praise God, the bumpy road we're on is not a cul-de-sac where we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. It's taking us somewhere. Man, that gives me so much hope. I put it in these terms because I want to caution you with something. We live in the land of clickbait. 12 steps to change your marriage by tomorrow. Yeah, I need that. Click! This, and think about when you actually click it, what you actually find. You'll be shocked at what this celebrity's kid did. Oh, I will? Click. No, I'm not. All celebrities' kids do that. What? Stop and take stock of it. Don't be duped by every 12-step thing. I want 12 steps. By the way, Christian bookstore, Christian book distributors, the whole Christian community is guilty of this as well. Five easy steps for this, that, and the other thing. So I want to caution you, and yet, I want to put in front of your face from the Bible 12 things that Paul lists in this text that are really powerful. Here's the other thing. Steps indicate challenge. 
Remember the John Maxwell quote I gave a few weeks ago? Everything worthwhile is uphill. Steps is a good thing. Anyone ever do like stair workout, right? Just running upstairs to work out. It's because it's a challenge. There's a gravitational pull against the upward call of God on your life. But it hurts, but it's tiring, but it's exhausting. Yes, keep going. That's called the gravity of the flesh. Now, see that little act now, act now, act now, act now? Again, kind of like marketing techniques realize this works or else they wouldn't do it. Uh, They actually put it up there a ton of times. Here's the funny thing. It really is the time to act right now. If you are not following these things, now's the time to act. Here's the beauty of grace. You don't need to wait till January 1st for a New Year's resolution. You know that God's mercies aren't just new every morning. It's true that they're new every morning. There may be a freshness to them, but they're new right now. You can start again right now. Act now on this. Doesn't necessarily easier the more you advance with Jesus. You know what's funny about this picture? If you start to squint, you go, wait a minute, what do those last things say? Persecutions? Does that say sufferings? I can't quite see it. Sufferings? Is that true? Yes, it's true. The more you go with Jesus, the more there's hard things that are there. And this little rough road ahead sign down here at the bottom, uh, we're going to get more to that in two weeks, okay? Next week, we'll be camping, in case you hadn't heard. In two weeks, we're going to come back to this text, and we'll really look at this. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All right, so here's what I'm going to do this morning. Here's how it's broken out. I didn't put this down in your notes, so you can just jot these down. I'm going to cover seven of these. I'm going to talk about seven of these steps, and we're going to just kind of walk up the steps as they show up in the scripture. Um, Eli, would you do me a favor? Go get me a cup of water, please. My hydro flask that you brought this morning for me is in the Jeep. I need some water. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Um, If I ask, think about this. If I ask you right now, what is discipleship? What kind of answer would you form in your mind? I don't want an actual response sometimes, like I often do. I just want you to think about that for a second. Here's what I've come to know. Here's how pastors do it. Pastors say, what kind of discipleship programs do you have at your church? There's never a question, hey, do you disciple at your church? Ever. I've never had another pastor ask me that. Why? Of course I disciple. What's Jesus' final words? What's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. Here's what's curious. Many times another pastor asking a pastor that can freeze the pastor. Many times Christians asking another Christian, hey, what is discipleship exactly? It can freeze us. I don't know. Think about how weird this is. Football season's starting up. You ask a football player, um, you give them a final command. Hey, let's go win this thing. Break, right? Let's go win. Hockey, win. Motocross racing, win. Axe throwing, win, right? Everyone on the field understands what that looks like. Get more points than the other team by the time the clock reads zero. Motocross racing, cross the finish line before everyone else. Axe throwing, don't lose a limb. I mean, I think that's how you win at axe throwing. Thank you very much, buddy. Christians, go and make disciples. Wouldn't it be weird for football players to go, wait, just to clarify again, coach, what do you mean by win? What does that entail exactly? 
Christian, hear me really clearly. I want to gift you today something that I saw in my study this week. This is why I wish everyone would just sit down and force themselves to teach the Bible to another person by a deadline. Who needs to study the Bible the most? Usually it's the pastor. God says, this one's going to need some extra help. I'll make him the pastor. No one will believe he's doing this on his own strength. It'll be God, right? So I study this. I turn this into a two-part message because I go, this is gold right here. This is absolute gold. Do not complicate discipleship. I could very readily just say, you want to know how to make disciples? Here's the Bible. You have the spirit of the God, a spirit of God. Go. Go and do it. That's a true statement. That's actually an exceedingly helpful statement. I want to break it down even more. Here's a Bible passage that shows us, hey, what is discipleship? What does it mean to be discipled, to be a disciple, and to help others in their walk with Christ? And here are 12 things sitting right in front of us. As we, as we jot down these seven, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to comment on it, make a few comments, and move on. But here's what I want you to consider doing. As you take notes on these, ponder who you are learning these things from up close and personal. In other words, who is your Paul? Paul is on death row writing to a younger pastor saying, as you pastor this church, Timothy, here are some final notes. Remember, Paul's going to die in about three months after writing this. These are the last biblical words he wrote. So who is your Paul? Who is it you're learning these things from? Who are you up close and personal to? Here's the second part of it, though. Who are you called to disciple? We're all all to make disciples. So who's already in your orbit that is learning and following you in this? And how do each of these apply? Okay, so consider your own Paul and consider your own Timothy as we walk through each one of these. All right, here we go. The first word is following. Timothy, you have followed my, and then he goes on to list some things. But I don't want to skip over the word following because this is at the very essence of discipleship. It all starts here. All right, now there's a real world question. I want real world answers, all right? What is the difference between following in the Bible and following today, particularly on social media. There are some differences and there are some similarities, okay? Think about these for a second. I've had a weak head start on you, so I already know some of the things. But what does it look like to follow someone today and how is that similar to following someone in Old Testament times or New Testament times, Bible times? And what are some differences? Clear on the question? Okay, shoot your hand up so I can see it and fire away. What do you think? Similarities and differences. Jen, go. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Hadn't thought of that one. I think actually also. I think uh, following from afar happened in, in, in the Bible, right? A similar thing. They weren't participants yet, but they were kind of there. Hey, there was a free meal last time. Come show up to hear this guy, right? So, so that's there, but that's a really interesting observation. Les, go. Near turn gain versus eternal gain. So following someone today on social media versus following in the Old Testament, 
Meaning the Old Testament had eternal gain and there's not eternal gain following someone here? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world was a, was a lot bigger of a place maybe back then. And so um, word would get around after 10 years of following this person, their character, their back, you know, behind closed door dealings, all of that would, would probably begin to show itself. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Ted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, one more. Two more. I, I got you, Patty. Okay. I bet a lot of people would disagree with some of that because there is real stuff, but it's so hard to sift. Exactly. Therein lies the rub. Yeah. How do you discern what's real and what's not real? Yeah. There's some interesting things coming out now that years have gone by with social media about how people have their job be deceive people on social media. And they're actually pawns. They're actually used like, hey, you'd be a good candidate for this. Let's, let's do it. Patty, did you have something? Yeah, I was just watching. Watching what someone is doing versus actually doing what they do. How, is that similar or different than Old Testament, like biblical times to current times? Okay, yeah. Listen, I'm going to hit pause on that. Lots of good discussion on this. Um, save it for your community group. It's probably on break because it's summer, but they're coming up. Um, interesting to ponder, though, isn't it? Here's what's interesting. In biblical times, in times between the end of the Bible being written and today, and today, people are following. People are following someone. People are paying attention to other people. People are taking their cues either from individuals or groups of people or identifying with a certain party or group or movement or symbol. And they are taking their cues about what's right and wrong, what's beautiful and what's ugly. Go left, go right, forward, backward, quickly, slowly. In all cases, think about this question for yourself. When new content is available, who do you rush most to go hear from and see? So in social media, right, you may set up a flag that says, hey, when a new video posts, I want to be sure I, I'm the first to see it. I can't wait to see it. When I was growing up and before social media, it was like a new book came out, a new album came out from an artist, and you couldn't wait to go be, be the first one. I can't wait to, to hear that band. I can't wait to read that book. So pondering this and thinking about following Obviously, in the old days, it meant actual following. So how else would you be a social influencer if no one followed you, right? Like you had people literally coming around rabbis and following them around. Jesus wasn't the first to invent that. Jesus was in a long line of people who, kind of to your point, Heather, uh, there were people calling people to follow them, and they were frauds. They were what we just read about. They were the evil people deceiving and being deceived. So, after this long, horrible list, 
about how people are going to be in the last days. Paul says this, but not you. He's contrasting Timothy. Timothy, you're not like that. You have followed me, Paul says. Here's what he says. You, however, have followed my blank. And so each of these next steps has the word my in front of it. Paul saying, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, these different things that we're going to look at. I want to stop and celebrate someone for each of these. And just like at the Grammys or something, when you start to thank people that helped you work on your album, you're going to leave someone out and offend someone you're close to, okay? Anytime I call out and celebrate someone in our church family, someone's going to be like, well, what about me? I do that too. Sorry. I really am sorry. I could have a long list of people, but I want to celebrate Eli right now. Eli, here's why I want to celebrate Eli. Eli, uh, most every morning, shows up very early. First thing in the morning, me and Eli are usually the first ones here. And here's what has gone on over the last probably six months. There's a little crew of people, all of whom are shorter than Eli. They're not all younger than Eli. Some of them are his peers, but many of them are younger people. And you know what Eli does? Eli has this way of he sets up almost everything you see out front. Eli goes and does that. We don't have magic fairy elves that do that, that live here at the church. His name is Eli, and he comes and gets that process started, and other people come and chip in. But Eli has taken to, when friends show up, when kids of the band are here, they don't just watch him do it, they follow him around, and they do it. And then here's another cool thing. Eli, you sitting up here is just sort of your leadership, your followers have kind of come and just been like, yeah, we're going to sit up here. We just noticed this morning there's a girl row forming up here. We love it. Kids, teens, I love it when you're close. I really do. It's so fun to have you up front. So I just celebrate you, um, Eli. Discipleship is about followership. And God's chosen way is to have you rubbing shoulders with flesh and blood people living out the faith. This is why Jesus came. God could have done it a million different ways. Instead, he had a person come and get a small group together, rub shoulders with each other for about three years, and then he was gone. It's still his way. The word submission is being discussed in our summer theologians marriage class. And far contrary to popular belief, Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is not a terrible word. Submission is a God word. I don't know if you know this, but have you ever, have you ever thanked God for leadership and submission? Submission is an invitation for someone else to lead. I think sometimes we think about like a four-way stop and, and yield. Who's going who's gonna to get the right of way? Who's going to get to go first? I got to participate in this uh, 10-month thing called Soul Care, and almost every single time, I I, I came away from anything we did at Soul Care utterly thankful that I wasn't in charge. I just drove away going, God, thank you for the gift of leadership. I'm being led really well here, and I don't know what's coming up at this meeting. And that's unusual for a pastor. Usually the pastor knows what's coming up. When I go worship somewhere different than NBC, I'm thankful for the gift of leadership of that church. I pray for that church. They're imperfect, just like the leaders are here. But I get to sit there and just meekly receive the word implanted. And I just say, man, it's such a gift to be led. And that's a huge part of uh, discipleship is followership. Now, if Timothy were playing a video game, um, him choosing to follow Paul, if he were the character, he would be like... (laughs) 
like he would grow five sizes because he chose to follow Paul. Think about the level up in young Timothy's life simply because he chose to put himself around Paul and follow his teaching and conduct and purpose in life. So let's start looking at these one at a time. Uh, You'll follow my teaching. Um, Teaching is not the only way to learn, but the classroom is important, and here's why. Words and ideas form worlds. Words and ideas form worlds. The interesting thing about life is this. The way that we interpret what we experienced as a child, what we are currently experiencing and seeing, the way we interpret it, not the events themselves, because the events can be the exact same for a broad group of people, but the way that we interpret those events forms the world we live in. And what we see and experience differs greatly, and it either sets us free if it's in alignment with the truth, or it locks us up. The same event, the same experience, the same sin can go on in a household, and four siblings can interpret it very, very differently. And 30 years later, if you were to track their life, they may come back to that moment and say, that was the moment I was imprisoned. I've never been able to break free. Or by God's grace, God may have set them free and said, no, 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 this was not your fault, four-year-old. This was not your doing. This does not define you. You are not bound to repeat this. All kinds of those messages. Paul was a teacher, a debater, a defender of the faith. What is Paul's teaching? He went on record with it. It's much of the New Testament. Romans is sort of his his big If you want to read sort of an amazing summary of sort of his teaching, go read the book of Romans tonight. But it's trickled all through here. Timothy is really familiar with the teaching because he heard him speak in settings just like this. He heard him house to house. He heard him one-on-one, and he saw him put these things down in writing. We have a record of people's teaching. It's important to ask this question. Whose teaching are you following, and what is it producing in you? Whose teaching are you following and what is it producing in you? There's a lot of people that are riled up, filled with strife, anger, and fear, and it's constantly whipped up by the voices they're listening to. Some are spiritual religious voices, some are more just secular, just kind of what's going on, us, them voices. Who are you listening to? Who are you learning from? And what is it producing in you? Question, are you growing in your knowledge and your love? Caution if your teachers say, knowledge isn't really important, it's about your love. Just love. Or people that just pound you with truth and knowledge and accuracy. There's not an ounce of love in how they even say it. The Bible speaks to both of those. Jesus demonstrated both of those. Do you find yourself challenged and provoked, or are your own leanings simply stroked and affirmed over and over and over and over again? If you scroll endlessly on your news feed, on your social media, on whatever else, you have something actively working against you getting a more broad picture. It's called an algorithm that is just continually sort of reinforcing. You click that, you like that, okay, we'll give you more of that. Words and ideas and clicks form the world you live in. I want, to celebrate, um, I want to celebrate the Ballards this morning. 
When I think about you followed my teaching, I want to celebrate the Ballards. The Ballards stepped forward and said yes to our summer theologians marriage class. And with fear and trepidation, they said, we're not even sure we should be the ones teaching that. They said that from this stage on Wednesday night. And for anything that they lack in polished putting together of things, here's what they have going for them. Their aim for this class is love. Their aim for wanting to teach this is love. That's super, super clear to me. Secondly, they lean on the scriptures. What they are giving to us is scriptural, and they just want to keep feeding us that. And thirdly, they've been married for 46 years. 46 years, people. Yeah. Last Sunday was their 46th anniversary. Trust me, you got something to learn from someone who's been married for 46 years. So sit humbly, take good notes, and listen in. Before heading on to conduct, let me say this. Think about how much teaching and actions go hand in hand. Teaching and conduct go hand in hand. Part of the mystery of social media and podcasts and celebrity pastors and teachers is you have no idea how they actually treat their staff, how they actually love their wife, how they, uh, what their kids are like. You don't have any clue with that. There's a giant buffer between, between you and them. Here's what I mean by that. Heresy, so take sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is like a firm foundation built on the truth, right? Heresy is cracks in that. Sometimes, like just demolition, it's blown up, it's just a pile of rubble, okay? Heresy is where, is the opposite of sound doctrine. It's where little fissures and cracks begin to come in and break that thing apart, okay? Heresy leads to sinful living, Heresy leads to sinful living. That is, when you begin to believe wrongly about God, about yourself, about what's coming, about what has happened, it leads to a sinful lifestyle. But here's an interesting thing. The opposite is true, and we're seeing this in spades today. Sinful sinful living leads to heresy. Sinful living leads to heresy when people begin to change their interpretation of the Bible to match the lifestyle they've chosen to live. If my experience is tops, and Western modern Americans have a pretty high view of one's own personal experience, if my personal experience is the top thing, then my experiences, my impulses, what I know to be true, begin to trump sound doctrine. So heresy can lead to sinful living, but also sinful living can lead to heresy. So we move on to conduct. This is Paul's lifestyle, his patterns, his daily behavior. Again, this has always been God's way, is get people together and have them rub shoulders with each other and actually rub off on each other. Isn't it powerful how much a single conversation can change the rest of your next few hours? Be careful with the words we say to one another. They can have a really lasting impact. I'll tell you a weakness of mine. A weakness of mine is sarcasm and wit. Sarcasm and wit can be used in the hand of God as a tool for for good, and it can be used for, for evil. And more times than I'd care to tell you about, I've had to go back to someone and say, you know what, I said that in a real flippant way, and I'm really sorry about that. I do not think that about your nose. 
I'm just kidding. I don't know if I really, I probably won't comment on your nose, but I'll think it. I'm a sinful guy. All right. Let me tell you, let me tell you what came to my mind when I thought about conduct and lifestyle. Um, John Thomas, who is not here this morning, but John Thomas is my mentor in dirt biking. Um, he got me into dirt biking about 10 years ago or so. And, and when I think about John, he's now taught my entire family how to dirt bike. And we go do this together, and it's an absolute blast. And when I think about dirt biking, I think I've learned a lot from John by listening to him. I've learned a lot from him by trying and going and doing it myself. But by far, I have learned the most and improved the most as a rider by following John. So when we're out on a trail, usually we spend hours with these little guys helping them get ready and do all these things and all that kind of stuff. And then we're both, the adults look at each other like, we're ready for a ride. It's time for us to go do a ride. So right, kids, enjoy yourselves. And we go take off into the high mountains and hard stuff. And as I follow John, I'm watching John. When John stands up, guess what I do? I stand up. When John takes this line and avoids that rut or goes into that rut, I do the same thing. When John kicks his leg out all epic-like, I'm not even doing the same thing he's doing, but I'm like, yeah, I throw my leg out. If he tucks his knees, I tuck my knees. I have by far learned the most just following John around dirt bike tracks all over the place. Now, here's the thing. Periodically, I'll say, hey, John, let me lead now. You follow me. What's going on? Is that pride? What a prideful pastor we have. Hang on. Here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, John, let me lead. You follow me and watch me. Tell me what I'm doing. Tell me what you see. So we'll ride together, and I'll go as hard as I can. I'm doing all the things I think I should be doing. And he'll come back, and he'll kind of give me, hey, you did this. That was really good. On that one section, you did that. Did you feel how awkward that felt? Yeah, I'm kind of awkward on a dirt bike. Yeah, don't do that. Try this instead. There's no possible way in a classroom I could get all of this at all. Guess what I do when I'm not writing with John? I'm actually thinking about John while I'm writing. Because I'm just thinking, like, WWJD, right? What would John do? I've got my WWJD bracelet. I'm just like, what would John do on this? So I'm writing, trying, A, not to kill myself, but also to improve as a writer. Don't miss the point here. This is life. This is life. I just took my daughter up to my alma mater, now called William Jessup University. It's so powerful to get to rub shoulders with some of my old professors and think to myself, man, I learned how to look at the scriptures in a unique and different way, in a better, more godly way because of this individual. Because I actually spent time in about a 20-person classroom with this person. I still remember the stinging criticism of this and how it helped me and how it was aimed at love. I still remember this, this absolute encouragement that I received. And I go, yeah, that's right. So having all of this is so incredibly powerful. I can't possibly coach someone in their preaching. If I'm raising someone up teaching, I can't do that from afar. I can't tell them the classroom things and not be there in the front row taking notes and paying attention. Paul and Timothy were a team. It's hard to glean and grow really from a distance. Paul said, hey, Tim, come along. Tim said, okay. And Tim just kept showing up. Paul just kept inviting this young guy who, who was making mistakes. Do I slow John down when we ride? Absolutely. But you know what? He graciously kind of totes me all over the place. 
Now, this is Paul coaching Timothy as he leads the church. That's what 2 Timothy is all about. Let me take you back to last week really quick. I close with this. How do you know a preacher is from God? I offered you three things. Pay close attention to his teaching. What does that person say and write and speak about? Pay close attention to his lifestyle was number two. This is always risky for a pastor. Anyone have number three? I often have to look up my own messages. Don't worry. Pay close attention to what he produces, his followers, his converts. Let me apply this to Paul. Is Paul from God? Look at his teaching. He wrote the Bible. Yeah, his teaching's on point. God said, yeah, I will, I will establish the Bible through you. His teaching's good. How about Paul's conduct? Eli and I just started the book of Acts together. We're in Acts 4 right now. What's amazing about the scriptures, we get to actually track Paul's patience, love, teaching, conduct through the scriptures. He passes that test. How about his converts? Paul produced Timothy's. Check, check, check. Paul is from God. What's powerful is you could go on. If you move from this church uh, out of the area or within the area, and you're like, hey, I wonder if this person's from God, take these steps and just start looking at them. Are the people I'm learning from these things? All right, let me move on to the next one. My aim in life. I'll shorten that to my purpose. Timothy, you have followed my aim in life, my purpose. For a while, the surest path to success was thought to be form a purpose statement. Form a purpose statement. Every business had a purpose statement. Every church had a purpose statement. You go to the gym, guess what? There's a purpose statement. I'm just trying to buy coffee. There's a purpose statement behind the barista. Then it moved into everyone having their personal purpose statement. You guys, you guys remember this? Come on, some of you guys remember this, the, the, the whole purpose statement craze. The surest way to quick shame in the sort of early to mid-2000s was this. Have someone come up and say, hey, what's your personal purpose statement? And you answer, um, well, I don't, ha- I don't have one. I'm, I'm still working on it. I don't, I don't have one. That person would look at you like you're dirt. Why are you even trying? Quit now. Quit taking up space. Stop breathing air. you got to have a purpose statement. Here's what's crazy about it. Many of you younger people are like, I've never even heard of any of this. Could it be that was a craze, a fad? Here's what's interesting about the purpose statements. Almost no one could remember their own purpose statement. They were like a paragraph long. People fought for weeks over the perfect wording of their purpose statement. And the CEO, the lead pastor, no one could quote it verbatim. Even after forcing staffs to quote them verbatim, it would go away as soon as the test was over. I lived and experienced this at my old church. Here's the beautiful thing. We had a bus ministry at my old church. You know you're a big church when you got a bus ministry. Every ministry had to have their own purpose statement, and it had to flow from the mission statement. It all got very confusing. Here was the bus's purpose statement. Plastered on the front of their buses, it said this, bus ministry purpose statement. Let the good times roll. (laughs) It was the best. I remember as a youth pastor, I'm like, I don't think that's what our senior pastor was talking about. I think it was them sticking it to the man. They're like, I don't even know what this is talking about. Let the good times roll. That was their purpose statement. You know what's funny? They were the only ministry that knew their, they could memorize their purpose statement. I'm still talking about it years later. Here's what's funny. Not only could no one remember those purpose statements, 
Um, having a well-crafted, perfected purpose statement had no implication on whether you were going to actually live that out. Isn't it way easier to say why we exist in a clever purpose statement that's a paragraph long that we try to memorize than to actually live one out? If you were to live a life that is worth putting down on paper and having people memorize, man, that's, that's actually what you want. That's what Jesus did. Jesus lived a life that, that was on purpose and was aimed at some very, very clear things and by default not aimed at a whole bunch of other things. So it's always easier to craft a purpose statement, harder to live on purpose. Here's an idea. What if you let other people write your purpose for you? Mike Elix. What if I were to write Mike's or Mike's were to write mine? Dave's aim in life is dot, dot, dot. Mike's aim in life is dot, dot, dot. That might be a much better exercise, don't you think? Because it may prompt me to say, man, I know this about Mike, but I don't know a whole bunch of other things. I want to get to know that about Mike. You may have a way elevated view of your purpose, and you go, wow, much of that is in my mind. I'm not actually living any of this out. You may have a way under uh, view of your purpose. And you actually go, wow, people actually see some, those, are, those are the very things I'm trying to aim my life for. Both Jesus and Paul spoke about the Christian life like a plow. I'm not a farmer, not the son of a farmer. I've never really been around farms. I just eat their food. But a plow is pointed on purpose for a direction. Jesus said this, no one who would take the plow and begin to push on it and then turn back is fit for the work of the kingdom. We were on a bike ride yesterday, and we had, had to finally tell a couple of our younger kiddos, hey, when you're riding your bike, you are no longer allowed to look over your shoulder. What happens when an eight-year-old is riding and they look over their shoulder? Boop. They veer right into oncoming traffic. It was a busy Saturday out at Shoreline. Or the person passing on your left in their tri-bike like this, going up 50 miles an hour, they're about to get killed, right? So I said, okay, straight ahead, purpose, aim. Don't look to the left or to the right. Man, this will preach. This is a whole other sermon about looking back, right? Getting our eyes off of where we're going. Where are we being led? Hey, just follow dad right here. Just follow me. That's it. That's your, are we hearing chimes? Can we fix the chimes? <laughs> The church bells. Someone fix their chimes if they can. It's, it's making us all think church is over, and it's not. We still got a few more points to go. Okay. Philippians 3.13. This is in your notes. You can just circle it. Here's Paul. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's so powerful. He didn't set out to write a clever purpose statement, but you look at that and go, when I read what he was about, what he said, what he did, what he didn't do, that's it. I'll tell you who I want to celebrate on this one. All these people who aren't at church today. Jamie Pitigoy Aaron. Jamie Pitigoy Aaron in Sunday school. Serving. This is a woman whose life is aimed at Jesus. It's just evident. It's evident by what she does. It's evident by how she does it. She is pointed and passionate at Jesus. By the way, from Paul's language, listen to all this sort of stair-climb language here. Straining forward, I press on the upward call of God on my life. 
Paul knew it was hard because he lived it. Let me take one more and we'll hit pause. My faith. I'll tell you what everyone in this room wishes discipleship were like, just like this. And you wish I would get up here and say, hey, let me give you three easy steps to live just like Jesus and have eternal success forever. Oh, we love that. We love it. We know it because we click on that stuff. We attend those things. We buy those books. This is not how discipleship is, is it? Is this how marriage is, parenting is? Is this how school is? Is this how learning a new skill is? No. It's, it's actually none of those things. I'm not sure why all the reasons. There's a great mystery to it. But God requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith must be really important, people. Jesus says, I'll do you one better. I won't give you three steps. I'll give you two. Come after me and die. How's that? <laughs> that, was his, that was his call, by the way. You want to know what it's like to get an altar call from Jesus? Hey, come follow me. Die. That's it. What he's doing, he's just, he's just laying out. This is the simple path of discipleship. No surprises. Here's the cost tag. Here's the price tag up front. Of course, discipleship isn't as easy as three steps. It's actually not as easy as 12 steps, is it? Oh, how we wish it were like this. It's not as easy as 12 steps. Following Christ is filled with stops and starts, sidesteps, detours, stumblings. I don't know about you. I've been following Jesus since I was 17 years old. Is it 12 steps? Yeah, it is, but it's five steps forward and it's seven steps back. It's a whole bunch of, it's 10 steps forward and then two back, right? Sometimes you're just stuck. Like, I'm not going up, up or down. What's happening? It's confusing. It requires faith. If you have your Christian life all figured out, careful. That may be a God in your own image that you're following. I'll tell you the person I want to celebrate on this one. Her name is Linda Conrad. Linda Conrad went home to be with the Lord two Wednesdays ago. And a month before she went to be with the Lord, exactly, four weeks earlier, a month and a few days, she was sitting right over here, right about where Denise is. Raise your hand for a second, Denise. Linda and Kent sit right here. I say this sometimes from the front. I say, hey, we don't, we don't know what tomorrow brings. Our life is a sneeze. It's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. There's a reality that I may be doing one of your funerals soon. You may be doing my funeral. <laughs> Stay with me. Deeply inappropriate, Brandon. Stay with me on this one. When I, when I say those things, I know it to be true because of experience. Let me tell you why Linda Conrad gets the faith award on this one. Um, when I was talking with Linda through this period of time, these four weeks, that's a shockingly short period of time to think things are a-okay to, to being wheeled out and having your lifeless body there. Linda encouraged her pastor to believe the core truths of the faith. The things that she spoke to me as I spoke to her 
were building my faith, strengthening my faith. None of us, none of us knows how we'll pass that test. A devastating phone call was waiting for her four days after being in church. I want to just say right now that Saturday, September 10th, we'll be having a memorial service for Linda right here in this room. It would mean a lot to to Kent, her husband, um, to come and, and honor her, remember her. But I'll tell you, uniquely amongst almost anyone I've ever walked through death with, Jim and I were talking about this, this woman was ready to meet the Lord. This woman's faith shown. In fact, I told her one day, I'm like, it's okay to have a bad day, Linda. None of it was put on. She just was clinging to these things. God is good. God is in control. God's not surprised by this. We are. She asked me for this. I feel bad I never got it to her. She said, what was that quote you said one time? You were talking about your dad. And here's the quote she was thinking of. Something along the lines of this. That when someone who's in Christ dies their earthly death, they're doing amazing. We don't mourn for them. They're doing as good as they've ever been. I promise you that. The ones we mourn for, the ones we pray for, the ones we comfort are us who's left behind. We were talking one Saturday and she goes, what was that quote? Can you get me that exact quote? Is it okay if I quote you on that? I'm like, sure, Linda. Like, you know, that's where her head was at. So we don't mourn for Linda. We celebrate her faith and mourn for those of us who are left behind. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for this truth we're about to sing, God, as we sing these words. Pray they're more than a melody. Pray they're more than just a catchy tune. God, it's a prayer of commitment. We started the sermon with, take my life. Here I am, all of me. It's all yours. My will, my lips, my funds, my energy, my feet, where I go, what I look at. It's all yours. Take it. And Jesus, help us. We need your help to abide in you. We receive and rest in the promise that you're not only with us, but you'll give us the strength and grace to do what we're about to sing. 